This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to episode 60 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on December 3rd, 2021. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing, and I am your host for Downtown Lowdown. And with the holiday season upon us, we're going to give you the lowdown on what's happening around downtown Halifax over the coming weeks to get you and keep you in the holiday spirit. We're going to start this episode with an interview with Jenna Rideout. Jenna is the Manager of Marketing and Events at Develop Nova Scotia, and she is going to tell us all about the Evergreen Festival. And Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is going to join me for a chat with Eric Johnson. Eric is the program coordinator for the Navigator Street Outreach Program, and he is going to give us some suggestions on donating this holiday season. And on BizBuzz, we have a few business updates and milestones to share, and we'll tell you about some upcoming holiday events to look forward to, and we'll give you some local gift ideas from our 2021 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. Before we get started, we'd like to mention again that this episode was recorded on December 3rd, 2021, and as we know, the pandemic situation can change very quickly. To keep up to date, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19 or novascotia.ca slash coronavirus. The Evergreen Festival is a holiday festival taking place along the Halifax waterfront and around downtown Halifax and downtown Dartmouth this holiday season. Running from November 26th to December 19th, the Evergreen Festival is inviting locals and visitors to bundle up and come downtown for some safe outdoor festivities to celebrate the holidays. The festival includes an open-air market, live music, holiday lights, safe events, and more. Jenna Rideout is the Manager of Marketing and Events for Develop Nova Scotia. The Evergreen Festival is a collaborative effort between partners, including Develop Nova Scotia, Discover Halifax, the Halifax Regional Municipality, and Jazz East Rising, and Jenna is here to tell us more about it. Hi Jenna, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us a bit more about the Evergreen Festival and how it came to fruition? Sure. So the Evergreen Festival is largely inspired by the outdoor holiday markets we see all over the world, throughout Europe, the U.S., Mm -hmm and other parts of Canada in climates that are very comparable to ours. There had been talks of starting this for a while, but COVID really introduced the opportunity to produce a special experience for people, all while being safely outdoors. The whole idea is to bring community together outdoors, enjoying lights, food, drinks, music, um, and entertainment in various public spaces all over the city. Okay. So last year was the first year for the festival, but of course the COVID had other plans. Uh, Tell us what happened last year and how prepared you and your team at Develop Nova Scotia for this year's event. So due to the public health restrictions at this time last year, the bulk of the activations that we planned were cancelled, but we still did go ahead with what we're calling Evergreen Bright, which is the light installation aspect. I think people were really grateful at that time for the opportunity to safely check out the lights, feel some of that holiday magic, even Mm -hmm. though it wasn't the extent of what we had planned. Yeah, so it was actually like the day before, I think you were supposed to yeah. launch Evergreen last year. <laughs> That's right. That so must have of, been a big scramble. A bit of a pivot, not to overuse um, a COVID word, um, but yes. But the the lights were a hit, and now we're happy to bring that back this year with yeah. the full roster of plans. I think the light lighting last year was really an eye-opening for a lot of people um, to see what we could do downtown mm-hmm. and how to bring people out um, without having a ton of events. Like it was just come see the lights on your own time. And That's right. Yeah, I think people really enjoyed that. Yeah. 
so what can people expect when they come downtown for the Evergreen Festival? Any highlights or can't-miss experiences that you want to tell our listeners about? So this will be a long one for me, um, okay. but there is a lot to cover, a lot to share, um, so everybody buckle in. Okay. Um, there's tons to see. The best part is that so much of it is free. Um, the light installations can be found all over downtown Halifax, um, Halifax Waterfront, downtown Dartmouth, and beyond. Um, Parade Square has their City Hall building mapping, which they've updated for this year, and it's pretty cool. The Art Gallery of Nova Scotia has a pretty neat Maud Lewis mapping on their building in the yeah, courtyard. Yeah, that one looks really cool. Yeah. yeah. And the Public Gardens is open during the evening which, with some lighting, which isn't very common, and kind of a totally new way to experience that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the waterfront ones we have are interactive, that when you run by them, they change colors. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just different ways to include kids this year um, beyond just kind of lighting. Uh, also happening at the waterfront is our vendor village, which is comprised of over 20 local businesses, some of which are rotating daily, so that gives people a reason to come back multiple mm-hmm. times. And that's right beside Waterfront Warehouse, That's correct? Right. Yes. yes. So they're selling all sorts of gifts and goods and drinks and snacks um, that are perfect for the holidays. Uh, we also have tons of live music, so Halifax Jazz Festival has programmed an amazing lineup at the Waterfront main stage. Mm-hmm. They have fire pod seating that you can buy as a large group, or you can even just buy a single ticket for yourself or okay. a couple people. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to guarantee a fire pod seat, the best way to do that is to hop online and purchase in advance. But if you're just strolling by the stage and you want to pop in for even like 15 minutes, they're offering pay-what-you-can tickets. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That so makes it great, like, affordable for a lot of people, too. Exactly. Yeah. So more affordable and more kind of you don't necessarily have to plan your day to a tea. You can just come down, enjoy a bit of music, pay what you feel yeah. you can, and then you can hop over to the mm-hmm. vendor market. Um, so the local talent and the shows they have are pretty spectacular, and so is their setup. We also have a container stage just around the corner closer to the vendor market. Right. And that's... Um, Kind of like different uh, programming, but local performers, dance groups, some DJs, and mm-hmm. some cooking demos and that kind of stuff. So is that during the days? Are they both on during the days, or is it primarily evenings that the music is on? The container stage is pretty heavily programmed with the entire vendor market schedule. Okay. So that's Wednesday evenings from 4 to 9, Thursday evenings 4 to 9, Friday and Saturdays from 12 to 9, Okay. and then Sundays from 12 to 6. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, we also have a hay bale maze set up for kids. Um, it is short, so that you can see your kids while they're in it. Very easy to navigate. It's certainly yeah. for children. Um, we have a Ferris wheel running, which is free to yes, ride. and that looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. so certain days we are um, collecting donations for specific charities to give if you can, but otherwise okay. it's completely free. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tree lot selling trees to people in the downtown core. Uh, $5 from every tree sold is going to the Mental Health Foundation. That's great. And then finally, uh, local restaurants and hotels are offering soups and sips, which is kind of a grab-and-go beverage and soup option to keep you warm while you explore, along with evergreen getaways, which are hotel deals for people coming in from either out of town or people that just want a special night. In the nice. Place. So that's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and what, what for you is the one can't-miss thing? I feel like the jazz stage is a really cool experience. It mm-hmm. kind of brings back that kind of... Halifax Jazz Fest feeling that we all loved so much about I know. the waterfront yeah. in the summer. And, you know, it, it feels like being back at an event, but in a very safe mm-hmm. way. The yeah. talent is awesome. The setup they have is great. So I feel like that's... Okay, go. great. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures of, like, the fire pits and stuff, yeah. and they looked really nice. Yeah. yeah it's cozy. 
Um, and finally, is there still time for businesses to get involved in Evergreen? There is. So businesses can still sign up to take part in Soups and Sips. Um, we're always open to including more. Um, if you're a retail shop and you wanted to do a pop-up hot chocolate someday, mm -hmm. um, you can even participate that way. You don't need to be a restaurant. Okay. Um, you can sign up to do that through uh, the contact form on evergreenfestns.com, and we'll help you submit it. Um, businesses can also take advantage of the jazz stage venue. Um, it's a perfect way to celebrate the holidays with your coworkers, employees. Yeah. You can block off a couple pods um, and celebrate outdoors with your coworkers. Um, so tickets are on sale on the Evergreen website as well as the Jazz website. That's great. Yeah. Well, it sounds really fun. I can't wait to get out and explore some of it this year. See you down there. Yeah. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks. Jenna Rideout is the Manager of Marketing and Events for Develop Nova Scotia. The Evergreen Festival is a collaborative effort between partners including Develop Nova Scotia, Discover Halifax, the Halifax Regional Municipality, and Jazz East Rising, and is running from November 26th to December 19th around the Halifax Waterfront, Downtown Halifax, and Downtown Dartmouth areas. For more information on Develop Nova Scotia, visit developns.ca or follow at developns on Twitter. For more information on the Evergreen Festival, visit evergreenfestns.com or follow at evergreenfestns on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up to date. We are welcoming Eric Johnson, Program Coordinator with the Navigator Street Outreach Program, back to Downtown Lowdown. The Navigator Street Outreach Program provides support to motivated, street-involved, and homeless individuals and assists them in securing and maintaining employment and housing through partnerships with community agencies, including Downtown Halifax Business Commission, Spring Garden Area Business Association, and their business members. This is Eric's fifth time on Downtown Lowdown. We always like to bring him back during the holiday season to tell us how people can help and donate during the holidays and the cold winter months ahead. And Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, is joining me for this chat today. Hi, Eric. Welcome back to Downtown Lowdown. Thanks for having me back here. And thanks for joining me, Paul. It's great to be here as well. This is the first time that Eric and I have been here together, That's I think. That's right. I think so. Yeah. Well, it's an honor. Yeah. <laughs> because I think we're, for us all. I think we're maybe the most frequent guests individually, but the yeah. first time we've had us, had us together. together. Yeah. So, Eric, this has been a tough year, which is really an understatement, for the street-involved and homeless individuals around the Halifax area. The housing situation, both in terms of the lack of shelter beds and the lack of affordable housing, have figured prominently in social discourse. So can you tell us a bit more about what you've seen out there this past year? Yeah, sure. Well, it's a... It's no surprise that it's, it's pretty bad out there. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people that are homeless. There's a lot of people that are living outside that are, you know, that we see around town. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, the lack of affordable housing and the lack of shelter beds, um, just the lack of kind of any place for people to go means there's going to be more people outside in the mm -hmm. elements. And uh, it makes it uh, makes it tough, you know. It's getting cold out there. We had a bunch of rain last week. We got some cold weather happening this weekend. Um, and it's not easy to be outside right now. And so... It uh, makes for a tricky job sometimes, you know. There's yeah. a lot of people out there. Um, and so I just see, I feel like I say it every year, there's just more and more people outside. You notice mm -hmm. more and more people who are living outside, and so it's really unfortunate, but it's, a, it's the way she goes, I guess. 
Yeah. So Eric, you and I were on a, on a webinar yesterday. Uh, so it was with a, a number of business commissions from across Canada, uh, kind of west, west east. I guess we had yeah, everywhere from, from British Columbia or straight through to, to Newfoundland. So the webinar was focused on, on social issues and, and really what we collectively as, as uh, business organizations across Canada you know, could and should be doing. Um, I mean, I was kind of struck, and I guess I, I kind of know this from talking to colleagues, but um, you know, this is you know, street issues, I guess, are, are something that, that's been, it's been a big challenge, especially in the West Coast. For, for quite a long time, um, but it, it really seems to be growing across the country, and, and what we're seeing now is maybe what the West Coast had you know, a couple of years ago, but uh, I was at least kind of struck a little bit by a number of our colleagues saying, like, this is, you know, this is by far the number one concern they have, even more so than, than business recovery from COVID or bringing people back to work, which are, which are huge concerns here. Uh, they're saying that, you know, the visible street issues, whether it's homelessness, panhandling, or, you know, increases in crime and, and this type of thing, um, you know, and so there's a lot of frustration, right? I think these things are all impacting the business community. And so I think we as an industry are kind of struggling with, with what is our role. Traditionally, this isn't something that business commissions would do, but we're all kind of in this, in this now. Uh, lots of us have programs like the, like the Navigator program. Um, so lots of conversation about what, what we could and should be doing and what, the, you know, what are asked of, of different levels of government. So there's a lot of frustration, around, I think, around the issue, and certainly locally, there's a lot of, I would say, maybe finger pointing between the different levels of government, uh, provincial and and uh, and the city especially. But there's a role for the federal government to play as well. So it's really kind of a big preamble, not really a question, but kind of give us some thoughts about. I mean, this isn't a Halifax only issue or downtown Halifax only issue. This is a a growing societal issue, um, which just seems to be getting worse and worse. Um, even though I think there's a lot of awareness around it now. So maybe just kind of share some thoughts about. About what what we need to what steps do people need to be doing to to kind of help alleviate the situation? Yeah, well, it's that's a that's a long preamble and, and a pretty big question. Um, in thirty seconds or less, I mean, to solve homelessness and poverty. One sentence and, or less. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think there's a couple different things there. The one, I guess, before I go into a longer answer, is the thing that uh, I find is that homelessness is not unique to Halifax, as, as you know, as the, obviously, and as the call yesterday kind of illustrated. Um, other cities have a really tough time dealing with people, you know, how many people are living outside and how many people are, are street involved or struggling with their mental health or addiction and stuff like that. So the good side of that is is we can kind of reach out across the country and see how other cities are, are working with that population and how other cities are supporting those um, homeless and street involved people to to kind of get help them out as much as they can and to kind of get them off the streets if they can and just to do that, but also talking to some of the people from across the country about what doesn't work and you know in, in certain situations you know if you're going to put somebody into a place without any kind of supports uh it's not good and so how can we learn from other people's uh failures or any kind of struggles that other cities have gone um and then the second part of that question is that we always joke you know the the trends out in halifax are five ten years behind the trends out west and i think uh, homelessness is a prime example of that um i grew up in bc and in Victoria, for instance, there's it's a similar size city to Halifax, um, but for years and years and years, there's hundreds and hundreds of like visibly homeless people, people living outside, and their shelters are much larger. And they have a quite yeah, they, overall they just have a much larger population of homeless people there. And I often am curious why, and a lot of people would say, well, the weather's nicer out there, which is kind of true, but I really think it comes down to property values the the property values out west are mm-hmm. were so much higher for so long in Halifax I think that's how Halifax avoided some of the 
the homelessness issues that we had that we've seen previously is because for a long time it was Halifax was a much more affordable city and you could afford to buy a house here and you could afford to rent an apartment and you could afford to you know have enough space to live um, but as we've seen the property values in Halifax and and the tightening of the rental market I think we're seeing a corresponding um, increase in homelessness and so on the one hand a lot of these things economically are really are good for the city. You know, we're, we have increased property values, which means we get more property tax and those things. So I think we really need to focus on if we're going to, if the city's going to be doing well in some ways, we need to be redistributing that, that tax and that, that wealth among the, you know, the downtown homeless population and the people who are really struggling and living outside because some people are really benefiting from the situation, but some people, as we see across the country, some people are really not benefiting from. So we need to kind of share that wealth around and really support the most vulnerable because if we don't, we can just get, you know, worse and worse and more and more people outside. So that's like my big thoughts as not an economist, but as a, you know, somebody who pays attention to the different trends across the country. And I think that's a big takeaway from it. Right. I think the, uh, um, when, well, I guess when this airs, it will, will have been last Friday. But the, you know, the, the certainly the city's been much more involved in in social issues and, and homelessness than they have before. It's it's for a long time. I think the the word from the municipal government was, well, it's not really our responsibility, which isn't technically, uh, but obviously they they feel the impact. So we've had lots of things happening here in Halifax, and we had you know uh, encampments downtown, and the police moved in and, and moved them out, and from that the city agreed to to actually establish a couple of of kind of semi permanent. Encampments, one in one in Dartmouth, and they just announced um, on Friday uh, the one in Halifax, which will be uh, uh, where the old Centennial Pool or the, where the Centennial Pool is, kind of between right between downtown and, and North End. Um, so I guess kind of just from your experience, what you're hearing from other cities, is that you know is that a good approach, kind of creating? I mean, obviously it, it alleviates a short-term problem. It's going to provide some accommodations for people uh, in the in the short medium term. Um, but it, but it seems like it's almost kind of going back to the the way we used to do things, which is putting everyone in one spot, uh, which maybe exacerbates some of the problems. So I mean, maybe just share some of your thoughts about it. Is this a good short term solution um, or not? And, and what are some of the challenges that we're that we're going to experience? And and if we all agree that this isn't a permanent solution, what's kind of the next step? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. Um, there's I, I realize that there's a difference between like crisis thinking and strategic thinking, which sometimes we forget that a lot of the time we're, we're operating in a crisis mode, especially working in the social services sector, especially working with people who are homeless because we're thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sleeping outside tonight. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And you just think really quickly, like, what can we, you know, what supports can we offer people? Can we put people into hotels? Can we put people into shelters? Um, can we put people into modular housing? And if all three of those options, a lot of people outside right now would take, um, because they're desperate. It's going to be like minus two, minus four, something like that tonight, I think. And I think I personally would choose any three of those options rather than sleeping outside um, because it's going to be so cold and, and nobody wants to live outside in the wintertime. Um, and so when we think crisis mode, it's just like, okay, we're going to do something quickly and try to solve this problem quickly. Um, but I realized that a lot of these crisis-driven decisions are very expensive and they solve the immediate term, but they don't think strategically of like, okay, well, what happens down the road? You know, what happens a year from now, two years from now? Um, we're going to dump a bunch of money into these things. And overall, if we would have kind of stepped back, thought a bit more strategically, you know, plan things out, we might end up saving money. You know, we're not going to have somebody tonight, but 
overall in the will house more people more effectively with the proper supports in them. So I think these modular housing units that they're putting in the pool and that they're putting in in Dartmouth are a good crisis solution, but they're going to be very expensive. And at the end of the day, I'm always curious of would it just be better to, you know, wait a couple more months and put in something more permanent and something with more, you know, and, and make something that is strategically more effective than just these crisis planning things. So it's good. I know a bunch of people I could fill up 40 modular units tomorrow, I think, with 40 people that are living outside that would that would gladly take that kind of spot. But I think they would also, if you offer them a modular unit or you offer them an apartment, they would probably choose, most of them would probably choose their own apartment. Um, just it's much more expensive. or it's, it's not that much more expensive. It's just harder to get all the approvals and to build the apartments. So in some ways I think it's good, but in some ways I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's the best use of our money. But. So you did mention, you know, there are a lot of people that are concerned about this situation, and I'm wondering if you could um, give us some advice on how people can get involved or help. People always need socks. I give yeah. out a, I give out a hundred pairs of socks a week, I think. Oh my gosh! Um, because it's just you know your feet are cold. Anytime it's wet, nobody has nobody has waterproof footwear. So anytime it's wet, people use a couple pairs of socks. So people always need socks. People need a place to live, really. Um, so if you can figure out a way to lobby your elected representatives to mm-hmm. get them to just build more affordable housing, that's the that's the most important and sustainable uh, solution. Um, Food, people love food. People love money, honestly. Like sometimes people want to give gift cards out, and that's great too. But sometimes the things that people need, you can't get a gift card for. So it's, you know, helpful to give money to people. It's helpful to give food, helpful to give. It's it's important mostly just to ask people what they need. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people will say they're panhandling in front of Tim Hortons. They'll get a dozen coffees a day, which is nice. It's nice that people are buying it, but maybe they don't want a coffee. Maybe just to ask them what they actually need. And some people just like to chat. You know, they could deal with the a burger or some food or something like that, but they could also just deal with somebody to pay attention and, yeah. and say hi and see how they're doing. Yeah, so it's, like a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you, I've always think about this of like, once you engage that person and, and start to talk to them, they become a lot scarier. Sometimes you're a bit nervous about talking to mm-hmm. people, but once you kind of get to know people, most people are a lot friendlier than they may appear. So it's just nice to chat. Right. So in the season of giving, what organizations can people support at this time of year and throughout the winter months? Well, I think the there's a lot of good shelter operators and a lot of good nonprofits um, for the delightful downtowns. I think we mentioned, you know, the North End Clinic and mm-hmm. and uh, Mosh Team and the Shelter Nova Scotia had some out of the cold. Mm-hmm. All the different Salvation Army, all the different uh, organizations that support people who are living outside and people who are homeless. They do some really good work on really tight budgets. So anytime you can give to them, that's great. Um, also downtown, there's a Lang House, which which provides some really good mental health supports to uh, some to youth who are who are struggling with their mental health. So right. they're a good organization to give to. Um, and also, you know, a lot of times giving is just is really personal. So kind of look inwards on yourself and, right. and see yeah. what is important to you, and then just do the research because you know some organizations are better than others, and some provide you know the kind of support that that you want to see happen. So it's good to do the research and give to those organizations that you think do good work, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the next question, too, is about the Navigator program. Where yes, we can always, yeah. you know, like I said, I can always use socks and long johns and good winter jackets and that kind of stuff. Right. So if we have anything like that or people have anything like that, then I would gladly take it. And and how would they donate to Navigator Street program? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I guess you, can, you can put my phone number in the show notes so people okay. can email me if they want. Mm-hmm. 
um, and just we can connect that way. Sometimes if it's, you know, I use a lot of sleeping bags too, so if people have sleeping bags, I can right. give those out. Um, and just, yeah, I, I can pick up sometimes if it's not a lot of stuff. So maybe yeah. just connect with me first to see okay. if it's something that we can use. Yeah, I, I can, can put also your direct email address to, in, in on the website. Yeah, yeah I can direct people to other organizations that have more capacity for that because okay. the Navigator program is just me here, so <laughs> it's not a lot of organizational capacity to sort through donations. Right. Okay. Well, I'd just like to say, uh, I mean, thanks to Eric for the yeah. work you're doing. Uh, I mean, we started this program probably about 10 years ago, uh, the Navigator program, and, and the sense was there at the time, and, and I guess it's probably still true today, there, there wasn't really kind of a, an organized strategic plan uh, to deal with, with issues of homelessness and poverty. And so the, the, the way the program started and we kind of copied from, from what we saw in some other cities doing was, you know, what, what would that role, if such, a, if such a, uh, a plan existed, what would be the role that we would play? Uh, and we decided at the time that really it was about we were, we were the closest to the people on the street. So it wasn't that we were going to be experts in providing services. It was really that sometimes the people on the street didn't know about the services, didn't know which ones they could access because the you know the services themselves weren't out kind of proactively looking for clients. So we kind of decided that was that was our role was to be that that navigation point to make sure that the people on the street knew about the services and and so that that, that would be a way to to at least um, you know direct them into whatever whatever it is they needed, whether it was housing or, or food or clothing or addiction services or or finding a job or whatever. So so that's kind of how the program started and the program has, has been the same since it's. Generally, it's a, it's a person that's out on the street connecting with mm-hmm. the people on the street. So we think it's a vital part of the of the entire ecosystem. Um, but um, you know, but you know, if we we still firmly believe that you know we need to have a much more comprehensive plan. And whether that's the province's role or the city's role or the or the federal government's role or private business is probably a combination of all of them. Uh, I, I think that's what's what's lacking in Halifax still. Right. Uh, I don't know, Eric, if you'd agree with that. But um, you know, we, we do see those in other jurisdictions, and so we we continue to lobby. You know, our government's here to say we really need to have a, a much more comprehensive plan with with funding tied to it, um, and, and which we still see the navigators being a, a big component of that. But uh, mm-hmm. but the navigator program isn't going to solve the the issue on its own. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me again, Eric and Paul. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Eric Johnson is a program coordinator with Navigator Street Outreach Program. You can learn more about the program by visiting navigatorstreetoutreach.ca. Or you can listen to Eric on episodes 5, 8, 21, and 39 of Downtown Lowdown. We'll have links to the Navigator Street Outreach Program and to the other organizations that Eric mentioned in our interview on the podcast page of our website, downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. And now for BizBuzz. And now it's time for BizBuzz. Gabrielle Malone, our Communications and Marketing Coordinator, is here with me today. Hi, Gabrielle. Hi. Thanks for joining me. On this episode of BizBuzz, we'll tell you about some upcoming holiday events to look forward to, and we'll give you some local gift ideas from our 2021 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. But first, Gabrielle is going to share some business updates and milestones with us. What do you have this week, Gabrielle? First... Black Business Initiative just celebrated their 25th anniversary. BBI is committed to growing a stronger black presence in Nova Scotia's business community by acting as a catalyst for job creation, equitable participation, and advancing the economic prosperity of Nova Scotia. Congratulations on 25 years, BBI. Pan A Circa is now open at 1475 Lower Water Street in Bishop's Landing. This new Italian-style retail shop offers take-home products, including a selection of meat and cheeses, artisanal breads, and fresh handmade pasta and sauces. Visit them Tuesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Drift is now open at 1709 Lower Water Street in the Queen's Mark District. 
Open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Drift aims to showcase elevated East Coast dishes using local ingredients from artisans, producers, farmers, and fishers. To book a reservation, visit drifthalifax.com. Interlude Spa Halifax had their grand opening on November 29 in Queensmark on Lower Water Street. Their new location is walking distance from anywhere in downtown Halifax. Call 902-469-2700 to book a service today. Great. Thanks, Gabrielle. So we're going to start with a rundown of some holiday events happening in downtown Halifax over the coming weeks, including some suggestions for New Year's Eve. Delightful Downtown, DHBC's new light show and installation program, is now ready for the holidays. You can check out the winter-themed lights in Peace and Friendship Park. This includes a sparkly 26-foot-tall tree, and you can see the winter and holiday light projections on the former Halifax Memorial building at Grafton Park daily starting at 5 p.m. Visit downtownhalifax.ca slash delightful for more information. The Halifax Citadel National Historic Site has some new holiday experiences this year. You can tour the Halifax Citadel by candlelight and hear about how the fort's soldiers celebrate the holidays. Or you can take part in one of their Raise Your Holiday Spirits events. You can enjoy a tour and rum tasting with a kilted 78th Highlander. Both events take place on Friday, December 10th and 17th. For more information, visit our events page, downtownhalifax.ca slash events. Bruce Guthrow is hosting a family songwriter circle at Casino Nova Scotia on December 9th, 10th, and 11th. Tickets are available on Ticket Atlantic. Go to TicketAtlantic.com and search Bruce Guthrow. The Maritime Museum of the Atlantic is doing nautical rope wreath demonstrations on Sunday, December 11th and 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. The demonstrations are free with admission. For more information, visit the museum's Facebook page and check out their upcoming events. The Student Union of NESCAD is hosting a winter market on December 10th from 4.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Granville Mall. There will be 21 NESCAD art student vendors showcasing plenty of arts and crafts for your holiday shopping. Admission is free, but remember to bring some cash as some of the vendors won't be able to accept debit or credit card payment. The Curio Collection's Vintage Christmas Show is taking place at the Halifax Convention Centre on December 11th and 12th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. both days. Make sure you are following at the Curio Collective NS on Facebook to keep up to date. And of course, the Evergreen Festival and Good Tidings at Bishop's Landing are both running until December 19th, and the holiday projection on City Hall and Grand Parade is on until January 1st. And let's talk about New Year's Eve. So here are a few ideas about how to spend New Year's Eve in downtown Halifax this year. You can ring in the new year with the mellow tones at the Halifax Marriott Harborfront Hotel. Tickets are $68 plus tax and service charges and are on sale now. You can check out our event page for the link to purchase your tickets on Eventbrite. Niche Lounge is hosting a New Year's Eve event. You can start your night with a four-course dinner and then dance the night away with a DJ. You can purchase tickets for either the dinner and dance or just the dance. Email tickets at gmail.com for more information. The Bitter End is also hosting a New Year's Eve party with DJ and dancing. There's no cover, but they are taking reservations now. Visit at thebitter.end on Instagram for more information. And there will be a New Year's Eve celebration in the Grand Parade again this year. Details are still being finalized, but you can follow at HFX Moments on Instagram or at HFX Civic Events on Twitter to keep up to date. And of course, many other places in downtown Halifax will also be offering specials and events for New Year's Eve, and we'll try to list as many as we can on our events page, which again is downtownhalifax.ca slash events. And you can also sign up for our events newsletters called This Week and This Weekend Downtown by visiting our website, downtownhalifax.ca, and scrolling to the bottom of the homepage where you can enter your email to subscribe. 
So our 2021 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide is now live. If you didn't receive a hard copy, you can check out the online version at downtownhalifax.ca slash gift guide. This year, the gift guide features over 70 local businesses in the downtown Halifax and Spring Garden area and has some great local shopping ideas. And I'm just going to share a few with you today. So cafes and coffee shops are a great place to buy gifts for a coworker or, or that hard to shop for a friend or family member. You can buy bags of coffee and gift cards at Weird Harbor Espresso Bar. Well, Tea House has some holiday tea blends like candy cane and cinnamon fig that would make great stocking stuffers. And the Business Cafe sells holiday gift baskets filled with cookies baking mixes, coffee, and their famous handmade fleur de sel caramels. If you're looking for some local arts and crafts, Argyle Fine Art, Art 1274 Hollis, Inkwell Modern, Handmade Boutique, and Carrefour Atlantic Emporium are just a few places that you can check out. And museum gift shops like the Gallery Shop at the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia and the gift shop at the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 are also great places to find unique and local gifts for everyone on your list. For those of you with foodies on your holiday shopping list, you can purchase handmade chocolates at Peace by Chocolate or Russo Chocolatier. Ovodia Wine Bar has gift boxes filled with cheese, chocolate, and wine that would be a delight to receive. Or Layers Cupcakes. Show up at a holiday party with a dozen cupcakes from Layers, and you will definitely be invited back next year. And last but not least, gift cards. Gift cards are great gifts, especially for those who are either hard to shop for or if you want to give experiences rather than presents. So gift cards for restaurants are always well-received. If you purchase a gift card for Murphy Hospitality Group, it covers various restaurants in downtown Halifax, including Gahan Hotz, Nova Center, the Barrington Steakhouse and Oyster Bar, Pickford and Black and Grounded Coffee. Gift cards for Legendary Hospitality Group can be used at Antoho, Tacos and Tequila, Stubborn Goat Gastropub, and of course, Dirty Nellie's. And you can also buy gift cards for hotel stays like the Hollis Halifax, the Halliburton Hotel, Cambridge Suites, or the Prince George Hotel. I would love a hotel stay if anyone wants to get me a gift. And you can even purchase gift cards for personal services and wellness places like Quantum Sport Therapy, which offers services from massage therapy to personal training, or Spirit Spa, which offers everything from haircuts to pedicures. So those are just a few gift ideas from our 2021 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. For more ideas, check out the online version of the gift guide with interactive map at downtownhalifax.ca slash gift guide. And that's it for BizBuzz for episode 60 of Downtown Lowdown. This concludes episode 60 of Downtown Lowdown, recorded on December 3rd, 2021. This will be our last episode of 2021, and we would like to take a moment to thank Mike Boyd from Podcast Atlantic for producing Downtown Lowdown, all our guests who have graciously given us their time and appeared on Downtown Lowdown over the past year, and to our listeners for tuning in to every episode. On behalf of Downtown Halifax Business Commission and all the businesses in Downtown Halifax, happy holidays. For more information on Downtown Lowdown, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast and found it informative, please rate and subscribe to Downtown Lowdown. And don't forget to follow at Downtown Halifax on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.